0: Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree, and it's known fact that sex and greed go hand in hand in this fast-paced world that we live in. And in the early 2000s housing bubble that dished out lavish bonus packages to the Wall Street elite, there was one woman with the job of securing them their glamorous, their discreet sexual encounters. Today, we're chatting with Kristen Davis, the Manhattan Madam. Kristen Davis, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me i am i'm so delighted i was so insistent on getting this chat with you because you absolutely fascinate me you held one of the most incredible and unique positions during one of the most notorious eras of greed let's be honest as the manhattan madam you supplied some of the most incredibly beautiful, I'm sure, women to the elites of the U.S. housing bubble. The CEOs, the bankers, the politicians, the celebrities. Does this feel like a lifetime ago?
1: No, it feels like maybe yesterday. I think prison sort of makes you, keeps it fresh. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I want to make today
0: all about you and that experience as the Manhattan madam, because obviously we could spend hours trying to understand who to blame recession business and whatnot. But if I have my timeline correct, I need to know how the hell do you go from VP of operations for hemisphere management to Mm -hmm. famed Manhattan madam?
1: um i think it's actually a a quite a logical progression i started in finance when i was 18 as a trading assistant and i worked for these guys in san francisco who were like the wolf of wall street of san francisco and it was um you know some sex drugs um a lot of money and at some point they um asked me to book them girls they made a lot of money and this is you know some 20 years ago and the way that we did it was different. I had fax and email and different things and uh, it just became sort of the norm. When we made a lot of money um, they would go to Vegas, they would go to strip clubs and I would see the bills come in, I would be asked to help them and so I sort of equated that with success. Yeah. And I also worked for these men who were like, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. So I sort of learned risk taking from them also. And um, I was at that firm for six years. And then I went to a different firm, and they did the same thing. And then I eventually uh, came to New York. And at New York, it was like super prevalent. They didn't even try to hide it. All of the portfolio managers and traders were talking about women and different things and i just at one point in time i got fired from my job and i'm like not that job i had been at another small fund for a few months and um, i was thinking about starting an agency and i just was like how would i even go about doing this so i placed some ads on craigslist like maybe i can find women on craigslist um i placed some ads i was fired the next day and i remember thinking to myself well this is a sign from the universe this is what you were supposed to do, sink or swim. And I opened an agency and I did it all wrong uh, for New York standards, because I didn't really understand, I'm from California. I didn't understand the different taste in women. And New Yorkers are very like tall, leggy, flat chested model types. And it's the exact opposite from what I grew up with thinking was the epitome of gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And, so I started this agency kind of like by California sort of standards and I wasn't making any money and I met somebody who did my phones and she's like, listen, you're doing everything wrong, redo everything. And then it just took off. So wow.
0: So how were you finding these escorts? Were they coming from other agencies? Were they independents? Like, uh, did you know what you were looking for at that time? You said you were just kind of pulling in this, this California
1: so that was at the beginning. And at, at first I was finding them on Craigslist. But then um, when I revised my websites and my marketing strategy, it was like, okay, now I have a lot of business and, and no women. So I literally just started going to all the high-end parties in yeah. New York, like the Cipriani membership clubs, Soho membership clubs. I paid a lot of money for all these things. And I just used to pick up women everywhere I went. I would just be like, okay, she's over five, seven, she's great and i would make friendships and i would sometimes it was almost like having a dating relationship with them because i would really have to some of them um only worked for me they were people i found they were people i picked out i groomed i tailored i changed their whole look of um their appearance and uh i really had to invest a lot of time in some of them some of them it took me like three or four months of like lunch dates and shopping dates, and like getting to know me to trust me, um and then eventually they would end up working for me. I don't think I ever approached anyone and had her and had her give me her phone number as if like, well, maybe I might be interested, and then for her to say no, that never happened
0: right and that's this is just how the legacy grew w- What about uh, the moral dilemma? I mean sex work is still, you know, it's sex work. It's it's an underbelly. It's something taboo. Was there ever in these early days or was that kind of washed away with just being around so much of this in, you know, the finance world and seeing so much of it?
1: I think it was washed away with the finance world. It's not that I didn't think about it, but I just saw it as a sign of success. This is what these guys did. And I, were, I was in that world for 11 years and I just was like, this is just normal. I never looked at it as um, taboo because they, these guys, were open about it, and they looked at it like this is what you do when you get successful. This is what yeah. you do when you get money, and they never, their relationship with it was very positive. So therefore, I kind of looked at it that way too. But I did, um, I did also run a very pro women agency. So I found that comparing myself to other agencies. I, I said to the women, listen, set your own boundaries. You don't want to do something. I have your back a hundred percent, whatever you want to do. It, and I screened my clients thoroughly. I wasn't afraid to turn down calls because I was like, well, you didn't screen or I didn't like the tone of your voice. I don't think you're going to be very nice to nice. my girls. You can go kiss my ass. Yeah. Um, and that was my attitude. And so I had better clients because my attitude was like, you're lucky to be coming to me. And if you don't show me that you feel lucky, then I don't want your money. Because I have plenty of money. (laughs) I was having plenty of money even since like day, month three. And I was like, yeah, no, I can afford to turn this down. There'll be somebody behind you.
0: Right. Well, the vetting process for clients also is, is a point of interest for me. Like, can you go into that a little bit? What would be uh, a no-go, you know, other than, you know, a, a ridiculous request or someone that doesn't, you know, isn't responsible with their money? Like, what would you, what would be a yes or no for you?
1: Well, so it's sort of like, um, my process was uh, first and last name, work phone number, um, cell phone number, and you're voicemails i called both voicemails to make sure you are who you say you are i'm google searching you a lot of times i ask you for a credit card and i'm address verification uh, avs on your credit card and depending how all of that sort of progressed is what else i might ask for you if you didn't have some of this information then i'm just forthright listen you haven't passed my background check yeah. I'm not going to set you up with someone unless I feel comfortable. So what can you give me to make me feel comfortable? And I had a really like honest, all my phone team was trained by me to do phones that way. So we were just like, listen, if you don't screen, you don't screen. Right. And a couple times, Elliot Spitzer, former governor of New York, he used to just change his names <laughs> and he would call from pay phones. Right. And I remember having a few conversations with him, like, listen, you're not passing my screening test. Who the hell are you? Right. And we would go back and forth. And sometimes I wouldn't give him, him an appointment. And then sometimes he would be like, listen, I'm using a different name. I've been there before. And he would describe my, the, one of the apartments. Yeah. And we would go back and forth until I felt comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: a lot of times my phone staff, if they didn't feel comfortable, then they would take their number and be like, listen, I'm going to have the owner call you. She is the last right of refusal. And this depends I wouldn't send anybody also to the outer boroughs of Manhattan because I felt like, um, I didn't need that business. And yeah. when they were calling from Queens or Brooklyn, it was like these guys who are trying to nickel and dime me. And I, I just had zero interest them. in that level. Yeah. Of also you,
0: you didn't need them. You had this right. very specific client base. Exactly. Uh, when it comes to the discretion that I would imagine these clients require, then again, does it get trumped by, you know, they're hard-on? I don't know, but did they have any requirements? Like, I need this escort to sign off on an NDA. Like, was there any of that? I mean, we're talking fucking celebrities and whatnot.
1: Yeah, no, I I only had maybe one or two NDAs, and I think that the reason why they didn't require that is because they trusted me because Mm -hmm. of my approach, and if you were spending a certain dollar amount or if you used us more than once i personally called you and right. so now we have a relationship and even though i have a f- whole phone team you're probably calling me directly right um so i think there's that but there's also me being brutally honest that's just my like sort of my nature at, at in in most in most uh circumstances and i'm just like listen so I tell the girl, this is who he is. Don't get starstruck. Don't do this. Don't do that. And we're all communicating. And so we kind of all have a set level of expectation.
0: I've I've wondered if these powerful dudes, these powerful clients, do they have a different kind of fuck style? Like, would you hear anything from the women about the sex itself? Was there anything exceptional about it or any absolutely out there uh, instances or specifics sp- experiences.
1: I ran a really vanilla agency. It was like models, beautiful, high end, vanilla, and okay. and we told that told you that on the phone if we got the sense that it was going to be weird. And for the most part, it was just like vanilla stuff. Wow. Um, some of the clients had weird strange but tolerable fetishes like one used to answer the door in women's thongs (laughs) and and I got to know him so well that I would send him thongs from like Victoria's Secrets once a month if I hadn't heard from him I'd be like oh I have to send him some thongs and then he would call me okay I got your package let's see who you got for me so anything that was sort of outside of vanilla but I found that a lot of the more powerful politicians had the kinkier, uh, the kinkier desires. What do you do when Spitzer's choking your girls? Um, so most of the time, as soon as we caught on to his behavior and somebody told us, we just told him, I blacklisted him a couple different times, which is why he would call and use different names. Um, and then he would get caught. he something and we'd be like oh well he verified at this whose phone number he must have got himself a drop phone and he did a couple of other things to verify fake yeah um so i would just tell them listen your behavior is not uh acceptable or i've had some clients who have fetishes and i'd be like listen you have to be very honest with me when you call about what you want because i can't send you just any girl i'm not going to put her in that position and I don't want to take your money if you're not happy. So, how do we bridge this gap? And then exactly. it was like, well, okay, here's what I'm looking for. And I'm like, you have to pay more for that. Like, yeah. Yeah, don't everything is an upcharge. Like, it is. It and is. let me find the right girl who's, I had one client who was like, listen, I'm going through a breakup. I want to punch someone. And I'm like, how hard? <laughs> how yeah. hard do you like, and where? And we negotiated this and he paid. I mean, a huge amount of money to do this, and, and I found and him the right girl, and it was all negotiated, and it was fine. But, so um, she
0: she consented upfront before going to the appointment that she was absolutely. Yes, I end
1: up about. sending like a group text, like, "Here's what I've got going on. Who's taking this?" And wow, how does that not go
0: further, though? I mean, if someone's saying that they they want to, you know exercise some
1: anger from their body, holy shit. I think the same way um, that I didn't really have any theft or abuse of women because I know where you live. I know where you work. I have all your information. If you're gonna do something to us, I will 100% be at the president of your company's work tomorrow talking about you with the girl you've abused or with whatever. So by screening them so well and keeping their information Those things just didn't happen. I had one client screw me over for about $30,000. He did um, a bunch of charges on his American Express, and then Mm -hmm. his father, who was his boss, he worked for his dad, um, charged back on all the charges and canceled his card. And I literally called this guy. I was like, First of all, you do realize I know where you live, I have your address, I have your work address, and He gave me the runaround for about 24 hours and I literally sent somebody to his house in Jersey to sit outside and I'm like, look, you pay me or your wife's gonna find out. That car right there, call your wife and ask her what kind of car is out in front. And we had this talk and maybe like an hour and a half later he was standing on the corner of a street in Manhattan in the rain with a cashier's check and I just got in a taxi picked it up and that was that
0: holy shit that is like straight up sopranos shit
1: like, that <laughs> I feel is like that's why i have your information listen i'm trying to provide you with an honest service and you should yeah appreciate that and not screw me
0: <laughs> wow you literally have them by the balls though yes i mean that's what's so eternally badass about all of this I mean, they were, these were such inflated egos, such inflated, uh, you know, greed monsters that you had them by the
1: balls. How fucking wild is that? And I think that's why I made so much money and I was so successful because my approach was that you're going to do what I want. You're going to pay what I want if you don't. And they're not used to having a woman, um, especially sexually, in a sexual uh, business Hmm. or environment, take that kind of tone with them. And they're Hmm. like, she's bossing us around. And like, we can't let that happen. Their own ego won't allow that to happen. Right. I made so much money negotiating with people who would then call me back and be like, I enjoyed the negotiation probably more than I'm going to enjoy this experience. Like I've had so much fun going back and forth with you for a day. Over well, you know all the, their world, yeah. You know, yeah. Their world. You knock the door, you know how to do it. One of them told offer, a few of them actually offered me jobs, and I'm like, but I make way more than you could ever pay me. Like,
0: so wait, why did this ever end for you?
1: Oh, because I was arrested. A yeah. SWAT team came to my house and with guns, just like Roger Stone, with guns and shields and battering rams, and took me to Rikers Island. And that Jesus was that. Christ. Took all my money at the same time. I had no money. What about like leaving and doing it in Amsterdam or something? Yeah, you can't make any money. I think legally, yeah. you know, I was really close with Dennis Hoff. He was one of my best friends. Um, and I think he's the only person that I know that's made money legally. Wow. And that's only because he had a TV show. That's right. That's right. Kristen, just how
0: part of society is sex work? How, how much of a reality is it today? I know a lot of people want to believe it's this, you know, small underworld that just doesn't affect the general public and the general public isn't as interactive with it as they
1: truly are. Oh, I think it's, it's much more widespread than people think. It's not the world's oldest profession because it's new, right? And right. I think people get confused because they see it as a segue to sex trafficking and, That's where they get all upset. And I'm like, but that's not the same thing. Two consenting adults are not the same thing as children or women being trafficked. And if we allocated our resources better to go after people who are trafficking children, then instead of focusing on consenting adults, we would have a much different uh, look at it in general.
0: Yeah. Do you think in this lifetime, we may see a different opinion or perhaps legalized sex work?
1: I don't think so. Really? I think that, um, I think people talk a good, I think the liberal population talks a good talk, but when it comes down to it, they're not going to do anything about it. What would be the right way to do it? Um, I think it would just be right to just decriminalize it across the board. I don't know anymore that I, I used to be for like full-blown legalization, Sure, but after seeing a lot of other businesses and how they operate and they are abusive, I don't know that I feel like we should ever give someone else the power over another person's uh, sexual nature. So I just think people should be allowed to do what they want and not have any uh, criminal repercussions for it. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable.
0: And it's usually the sex worker that is the one facing those criminals. Right, the
1: johns never get like, How is that possible? Elliot Spitzer was governor of New York. His first, one of his first acts in January 2007 when he got in office was to change the penalty for a man getting caught using an escort from a misdemeanor to a felony. He made that law, increased the penalty, and he did not go to jail even (laughs) though he was caught red-handed. But I went to jail yeah. And all of my money was seized and yeah. then forced to be forfeited. So, what they did to me was they arrested me, stuck me in Rikers on a multi million dollar bill. It's the highest for this crime ever in the history of this crime. Yeah. And they're like, oh, sorry, we've also seized your money. So, you have no way of making this bail. So, we're just going to stick you here to scare you. And then, if you sign over all your money, we'll let you out and we'll drop that charge. hmm. And so of course, after a few months, I'm like, who cares about my money? I want to get out of Rikers Island.
0: Well, yeah. Can I ask about that experience?
1: Yeah. Rikers Island is like literally the hell on earth. It's like something you would imagine is in a Thailand, is in Thailand. Yeah. It's um, run down. There's no running water in the cells. There's no, um, they stick you in a cell and it's got full of roaches, like full infestation. There's, it's disgusting. And then they just, I was in solitary. So they just lock you in, and the officers are, you know, 300 feet away in an air conditioned room, and we're not air conditioned. And Why then they just you- leave you.
0: Why were you in solitary? Because this was a high profile case?
1: Yes. Automatic move is right into solitary, and then they just stick you there. And, you know, people die from them just leaving them in there having no air. You're in a like concrete and cement cell with no air conditioning in the middle of summer in new york city a heat wave no water and you have to knock on the door to get the officer's attention to come give you a phone a shower water and they don't want to come out of their air conditioned room mm-hmm. to help the animals so you're just like knocking for hours and you just give up so you're like lost in rikers you can't communicate no food. They have to come around and feed you and put the food into yourself. They don't want to serve you. They're like, no, we don't care if you get breakfast because we don't want to serve you. We don't care if you get any food. That's so fantastic. it's literally the worst, the worst, most inhumane at some, but, but some point in time, that's why I was so willing to sign over my money. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to fight this case. Let me out of here because I'm having nosebleeds and they're threatening to taser me. Mm. Um, all kinds of weird. They come around and do these strip searches with men and women. So why are men coming into a female, uh, you know, facility into the solitary and telling you to stand there naked in the middle of your cell like this? And they're just sitting there talking about you, making fun of you. Oh, look at her boobs. Look at this. No way. Yeah. It's like humiliating, degrading. And I think a lot of people don't understand, and some people, depending on your views, say, oh, you committed a crime, you deserve it. But no, if that was your sister, your brother, your mother who did something, nobody deserves to be treated that way.
0: How do you survive that contrast from the high glamor, high rolling life, to Rikers, to now?
1: You know, that's actually what my probation had me monitored so strictly because they couldn't understand how I could forfeit all my money and not go back and commit a crime. And I'm like, because you scared the shit out of me in Rikers Island. That's how. I don't want to. Um, the sad the more sad part for me was when I came out, I was like, well, maybe I can go back into finance. I have a specialty Mm. background. If I was a man, I could have went back into finance and Goldman Sachs probably would have given me a high five for doing what I did, but no one would hire me. Um, People would meet me. The presidents of like Deutsche Bank met me and is like, listen, you're brilliant. I need you. I'm going to try to get you in as a temp so they won't do a background check even he's like, I can't do it. I, they're, they're not going to let me. Seriously. I'm
0: like, all these, all these motherfuckers that right. were in touch with you. Right. Half of your, your
1: staff is on my client list and you guys, I can't give me a job. I mean, you know, I happen to be resourceful and, um, and tenacious. So I still found ways to like freelance and do things online and, and make opportunities for myself. But, mm-hmm. um, it's sad because I think other people in the same position w- would just take that as defeat and like, yeah, we be, be in a bad place. It breaks the spirit. How long were you uh, in Rikers? I was in Rikers for four months and then I ended up um, after that doing a year and a half in federal custody. Oh my gosh. What a life. I, I mean, who's going to play you in the movie? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We, we tried that for a while. have an agent in California. Um, but, you know, a lot of people wanted me to name my clients and make it a salacious thing. And mm-hmm. even somebody like Howard Stern said, listen, I'll put you on, but you have to talk about clients. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Um, with the exception of people who have already came out, I do not feel like it is my place to ruin lives to, to just for my own you know benefit. It's not who I am.
0: That's incredible, because everyone would want to press for those names and those dirty details. And there's some kind of honor code that sex workers just really, truly understand, respect, and will take
1: with them to the grave, the ones that are doing it right. You know what I mean? Right. I think that, you know, it's like, um, I think it was Larry Flint offered me like a million dollars because my client my client list is 10,000 plus names. Yeah. And I have everybody's credit cards. I mean, it's, it was a computerized system. I was very well organized, just like ran it like a business. Um, and I remember my, my attorney got the offer and he's like, so this is coming through. And I was like, well, what should I do? He's like, honestly, you should talk to your mother because she's a nice Christian woman, the voice of reason and ask her what she thinks. And I asked my mom and she said, uh, let me sleep on it and I'll get back to you. And her thing was like, I don't care how bad you need money. People's lives, their families, children's, wives, marriages could be destroyed. I don't think, she's like, it's not worth it. And I'm like, you're right. I just needed to hear it. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Cause you still hold that power <laughs> <No> <laughs> out there, but just saying. <laughs> I do
1: and you know, so funny is throughout the years many of the clients that i've known i've watched them hmm. implode either online or catch their own criminal cases and i'm like man this is just sometimes i'm like maybe that was karma for them for hmm. you know for whatever but I, i've seen i watched them and i'm like hmm that's interesting wow yeah. and some of them have ended up um you know catching cases for abusing women which I found is, is also interesting, is like maybe the, the lack of providers for mm-hmm. them caused them to go in another route and they just end up, some of them, a couple of them actually, um, on Craigslist, like trolling for women and then misleading them outside of like paying somebody and then getting a case for that. See, that's so. sick. That's right.
0: I have nothing wrong with people procuring, securing their own experiences with a sex worker. I quite honestly think there's benefits in having those experiences in this world beyond just sexual gratification. But if right. it's for the ugly evils of the world, no, 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 You got I know. know. Do, you, do you think that there's other benefits to ex- an experience with a sex
1: worker other than just sexual gratification? I do. I think there's benefits for, um, for both agency owners and for the workers because a lot of my clients would call me every two or three days and they're like either lonely and bad, you know, relationships, long-term marriages and it's okay or whatever their issue is and they would always tell me, you know, it's just so nice to have somebody to talk to for 10 minutes and I just appreciate you. I appreciate, you know, I know what this is. I appreciate you know, the the brief moment of happiness or that what it brings to my life is just feeling like somebody's paying attention to me for mm-hmm. a moment.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's um, you need. Yeah. And I think that's honestly, I mean, we charged a lot of money and a lot of these were multi-hour calls. So it wasn't just about, you know, sex for these guys. A lot of them were dinner dinner dates or partying in their own home and w- wasn't even sexual. Um And all the feedback I always got was I got so many different thank yous from these guys. Like some of them sent in presents, gift cards, Louis Mm -hmm. Vuitton, Tiffany's stuff. (laughs) I had all kinds of presents because I would just be honest with them. I'm like, look, for what you want, here's who I think you should book. You want to go with this tall, pretty model, but you're not, this is not going to meet your needs. I promise you you know, and then they would be like, I had such a good time. She made me feel so good about myself and listen to my crappy day and blah, blah, blah. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I think there are a lot more values. People just want to put it into a box and Mm -hmm. say, Oh, that's the only reason. No, there's a lot of lonely people in the world that need, that just want attention. Yeah. And
0: looking at the world today, uh, I don't know how many sex workers watch or listen to this podcast, but if they're out there listening, watching, do you have any advice for them?
1: Um, My advice now based on running a business and having also been around it again for 12 years, I have friends that are in porn and different various things is to just work for yourself, take the initiative, work for yourself, be careful and don't be afraid to turn somebody down if it doesn't feel right. But don't give anybody else the power over your body. And because you're maybe afraid that um, that you can't do it on your own, or you're afraid to take that leap, or they've conditioned you to thinking you're only of this worth. So I think if this is the choice that you want to take, is to be independently employed, and then to also just you know use these things for, use your money to segue into something else, because this is not something you can do forever, Mm -mm. you know, and I have, I've seen some women who are older than myself, still trying to work, like a decade older than myself, and I'm like, why aren't you putting away your money, like, you know, this is not a long-term profession, (laughs) so it's also important to know, like, easy come, easy go on the money, so you have to have a goal. Yeah. Well,
0: wise words there, truly. Kristen, thank you so, so much for taking some time today sharing this story. Uh, it was incredible to listen to. Thank you. So wonderful. Where can people find out more and uh, get in touch with you?
1: People can find me on uh, Facebook and on Instagram under Manhattan Madam. And I have a PR site. I do work for Roger Stone and a number of other uh libertarian to right-wing influencers and that's thinkrightpr.com. Fabulous. Kristen, thank you so,
0: so much. This, this was, was wonderful. So fun. And uh, I wish I was in Florida. What can I say? Right. <laughs> it's so cold here. Okay. <laughs> Take care of thank yourself. You. All right.